Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. 525,949. That's how many minutes you have in the coming year. But time goes quickly. Appointments are made. Meetings get booked. There's your work week, sports games, school plays, email, texts, shopping trips, and vacation plans. It all fills up pretty quickly, and sometimes we need a vacation from vacation. We want to get ahead, so we're always on, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and we become slaves to our schedule. But what if this year was different? What if this year you pushed back against the pressure and let God manage your calendar? Imagine having more time, 24 hours, every single week. What if you had more time to laugh, to love, to play with your kids, go for a walk, or enjoy a nap? All the things that make life worth living. Instead of living 24 hours, 7 days a week, what if this was the year you lived 24-6? 24-6, discover God's plan for balanced living in a busy world. All right. Hey, welcome everybody to Liquid Church. I'm Tim, and I want to make sure we got to welcome the rest of our churches today. We have one in uh, New Brunswick, in Mountainside, and Nutley, New Jersey. Can we say hello to them? Glad you guys are joining us. Thanks for being here. All those of you uh, watching online or in the overflow or you're listening on the radio, man, we're glad you're here for this series 24-6, in which we're really talking about this idea of margin. I, this is a concept I introduced about six years ago to our church. It impacted a lot of people. If you're old enough to remember, that's like ancient history and liquid. But margin illustrates really the heartbeat of what it means to live 24 Six, because right now we live in a 24-7 world, right, where our schedules are stressed out to the max, we run bell to bell, we overextend our families, we kind of push ourselves past the breaking point, always on the go in constant contact. Think about between your family, your work, your schedules, your shopping, all that stuff, it's like faster and faster, more and more our culture pushes us this 24-7 way of life, especially in the Northeast. But living 24-6 means we make room for margin in our lives. Now, what is this idea of margin? I want to illustrate this to you by asking you to take the Bible we gave you today and just open it up to any page. Go ahead and open it up. You could actually do this with any book. We're going to be looking at the scriptures today. But if you open up your Bible, you'll notice the words don't go to the very edge of the page. There's a little strip of white here called what? The margin. Yeah. Now, why do they put margins in any sort of book? Well, really easy. It's breathing space. It's visually, it allows you to read the words more clearly because they're not all jammed together. You could take notes. That would, that's what a margin is. It's just buffer space so you don't go right to the edge. You see this everywhere in life around you, not just in books, but you probably saw it today on the way to church. When you were zipping along in your car, you know, 60 miles an hour, 70, some of you, I know, I've seen you. Um, right along the side of the road is another white strip that you're not supposed to go over. It's called the, what, the shoulder, right? That's margin on the road because when you're going 70 miles an hour, you want as much pavement as possible so it leaves you some margin for error. Margin is just extra space that is for your health and safety. So we get this in the physical world. Intuitively, we understand you need margin, whether you're reading or driving, for your health and your, and your well-being. But when it comes to relational margin, 
or spiritual margin or financial margin, all the areas in our life that are invisible or unseen. That's when our culture kind of squeezes out that extra space we need to survive. If you're taking notes, that's really what margin is. I put this definition in your notes today. It is the space between our load, what you take on, and your limits, what you can sanely handle. In other words, the extra space there. So margin at work means you actually don't have to bring home uh, work with you. You don't have to sneak emails after dinner, right? If you had margin at work, it means you don't have to take a, you know, work on extra projects on Saturday or Sunday. You don't take an extra shift at work or you're like, I'm so maxed out. I'm going to have to take on an extra job or work overtime. You don't have to do it because you have margin. You've got space between your, your load, what you take on, and your limits. What is margin at home? Margin at home means your family isn't scheduled bell to bell. Your family calendar, you know, you're busy like everybody else, but you're not shuttling kids to games and plays and practice like a taxi driver on crack, okay? It's a little bit more sane. You actually have time to cook meals, not just speed through the drive-thru. You have downtime to read a book or garden or whatever it is that kind of brings you to life. Margin is everything. Financial margin. Financial margin would be getting to the end of the month and still having money left over. Some of you are like, that's not margin. That would be a miracle, okay? You, you don't max out your credit cards. You don't take on more financial debt when it exceeds your limit, okay? It's a big deal. And margin really on Sunday means that, hey, you carve out time to be in the presence of God. That's why we're at church, right? We worship at church. We want to be fully present to God and hear his word. We want to know his truth. And what we're going to do is we're going to evaluate our lives in light of his eternal truth. That's why you're here today, right? Reconnect with your creator. Let your soul have breathing room, room to grow and breathe. Margin is a beautiful thing. It's not living the way our culture says 24-7, where you push it to the max or take it to the limit to the neglect of your soul. It's living 24-6, kind of entering into the rhythm of God. Jesus called himself, he said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And he gave the invitation this way. He said, come to me, all you who are what? Weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. That's our anchor verse, because the reality is to be a successful follower of Jesus Christ, you have to have room for margin because God designed you with limits. We don't like to acknowledge that we have limits. We like to pretend we're Superman and the world revolves around us. But when you put the pedal to the metal and live life at 90 miles an hour, your engine eventually seizes. Maybe not right away, but eventually the bill comes due. Andy Stanley notes this. He says, there's nothing fun about watching people live a marginless life where, where you're so, there's no margin for error. You make one mistake emotionally, one mistake relationally or financially, and your whole family wipe, wipes out. Let me tell you something. As a pastor, it is no fun to watch a married couple who are like so at the end of their rope emotionally. They finally have that one big blowout argument, and finally somebody snaps. They go over the edge. They go past the breaking point, and they walk off, and they say, you know what? I'm done. I can't take this anymore. I am out. I can't live it. You have pushed me past the breaking point, past my margin, and then the relationship tanks. It's no fun to watch a friend who's at their limit financially. Ever see a family who is stretched so thin economically and just strapped that when there's an emergency or there's an unexpected bill or there's an expense, it just kind of breaks them. They have to declare bankruptcy or take out another loan that just puts them further behind. And all of us know it's no fun to have your schedule so just crammed full of stuff that you don't have the time or space to enjoy any of it. Because it's all about 
picking up and dropping off and rushing on to the next thing. There is no breathing room. There's no margin because you're doing 100 things all at one time, and you lack the margin to just be still and simply enjoy one of the gifts that God has given you. It's a thrilling pace, but it's catastrophic to your soul. So last week, I took my own advice, and I actually scheduled a little time for margin. If you remember, I told you how our family kind of got crushed over Christmas. It was just a nightmare. Uh, I don't want to say nightmare. No, it was a nightmare. We had, uh, we had a lot of relatives staying over. We had 16 Christmas Eve services. My dad is in the hospital. Colleen sliced her hand. Um, so we kind of peeled into the new year, just kind of stressed out, just maxed out. We were crispy critters, okay? Now, thank you for that. Thank you for your care, by the way. Colleen got her stitches out, so she's going to be fine, full recovery. Visited my dad on Wednesday. Your prayers just mean the world to my family. I thank you for that. But I want you to know that I did something about it last Sunday. See, what I don't want to do is stand up here and, hey, let me preach God's word to you, and here's how Jesus says we should live, and then just I just go live a different way. That's called hypocrisy. So I want to, I want to practice what I preach. So last Sunday, you're going to be proud of me, after preaching here at Liquid, I was actually scheduled to fly out to Chicago for a two-day leadership conference, right? And I, was, I had this 4 o'clock flight out of Newark, and I could have gone, and Colleen was just like, well, this is great timing. And I'm like, Yep. Uh, she goes, but that's okay. We'll reconnect Thursday. I'll manage, you know, I'll take care of the kids. I'll get my stitches out myself. And she, she I could have gone. I could have squeezed it in, but I canceled it. I canceled my plane tickets. Got it. Yeah, I'll take, I'll take that. Yeah. Like as a recovering addict. Thank you. Um, I got a refund for the conference. And I told the guys that I was going to this pastor's, you know, conference. I was like, I can't go. My family comes first. And so on Monday, instead of hanging out with a bunch of pastors in, you know, Chicago, I took my wife to a bed and breakfast in Pennsylvania. And we didn't have kids for two days. Aren't you jealous? It's incredible. Two glorious, uninterrupted Sabbath days with margin. No work, uh, no screens. We, did, we just put away the laptops, all of it. No shopping, no running around. We slept in. Uh, we, we had devotions together. We were able to pray together. Our leaves are green again. <laughs> That's the heart of the Sabbath. This is what the, Jesus calls the Sabbath. The Bible talks about Sabbath as the solution to a 24-7 marginless life, and it's really what this series is about. And I know I'm not the only one who kind of needs to refocus my heart and my calendar around Sabbath living. I'm going to give you a challenge today to make room in your schedule for Sabbath in your own sphere of influence, whether it's your family or at work today. So here's what I want to do. I want to open God's word. We're going to look at the original model of the Sabbath and then the mandate that God gives in the Old Testament for entering this rhythm of margined living. And you may be surprised, surprised to learn that our modern problem has a very ancient solution that dates back to the book of Exodus. So would you flip in your Bible to Exodus chapter 20? This is on page 53. And you're going to find here the original list of the Ten Commandments. These are not the Ten Suggestions. They are the commandments that God gave his children for a holy living. Let's read this together. We'll look at the fourth commandment found in Exodus 20, starting at verse 8. Here's what the Lord told Moses. He said, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you should labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, so your kids are in the Sabbath, neither your male or female servant, so your butler, uh, you know, or nanny, or your landscaping guys, nor your animals, the dog gets a day off, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Now just pause here, 
Because what we're reading is the fourth commandment, and it's the longest of all the other commandments. Would you just look at the other ones? This represents one-third of the Ten Commandments, and God puts it in the center. He says everything else is kind of centrally built around what I'm calling the Sabbath. And Sabbath, or in, in Hebrew, Shabbat means simply to stop. To stop, cease, you're running around, and actually rest from your work. God is like, I want you to work for six days, but then on the seventh, I want you to stop. I want you to Sabbath. Why? Answer is in verse 11. Let's read it together. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he what? Say it together. He rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In other words, when something is holy, it means it's set apart for something sacred or spiritual. And understand this. Sabbath is one of the primary ways you imitate your heavenly father. It's one of the foundational ways you obey God and say, God, I realize I am not you. (laughs) You don't have limits, but I do. The world doesn't revolve around me. It's all about you. We have to refocus that every week. Do you remember last week, we went back to the original creation account in Genesis, and and I showed you how God sets his work week, right? Remember we looked at his seven-day calendar in Genesis? Remember God's work week? Well, I don't know what your calendar looks like. This is God's day one. God says, you know, let there be light. And then day two, he's like, okay, this is good. Sky and sea separate. Day three, it's hump day, but he makes dry ground. The earth is there. Uh, Day four is kind of cool. Sun, moon, and stars. I'm filling now the canvas. So God is a worker and he says, work is good. Boy, this is good. I love working. And then he says on day five, he says, I'm going to fill the lakes and stock the skies with birds and fish. And what we realize is God says, I am a worker and you're made in my image. You're actually wired to work, being productive, being creative, creating something out of nothing is one of the ways that I've wired you for this world. And then on day six on God's calendar, he's like, let's do the whole man, woman thing. It's not good for man to be alone. He brings the woman. She doesn't look like the deer there, but, uh, but he creates him. And this is when God says, oh, this is very good. Because now I'm creating men and women in my image to be workers. That's days one through six. But then on day seven, God says, stop. Stop. I am now creating something out of nothing. Or should I say nothing out of something? I'm going to ask you to stop and rest from your work six days a week. Because I know something about you. If you don't stop, you will think that your life is all about work and just push right past your limits. In fact, if you just keep working, you're going to start thinking you're me. (laughs) You're going to think you're God and that the world couldn't possibly go on without you. (laughs) And so I'm going to actually invent this thing called the Sabbath to stop and say, I want you to have a breather from your work and I want you to come reconnect with your creator because I want you to be holy as I'm holy. See, God doesn't rest because he's tired. He rests because he's holy. And instead of laboring 24-7, God says, my universe is going to be 24-6. And I'm going to give my children divine downtime where they stop and return to this primal rhythm of rest and reflection that I established at the outset of creation. That's what Sabbath is. It is entering the rhythm of God that involves rest and reflection. We transition from human doings into human beings. We reflect and remember God is God. We're not. The world revolves around him, not you. You can actually stop your work and the world will go on without you. God has no limits, but you do. 
And so the Sabbath is holy. In other words, God models margin for his children. That's the first fill-in if you're taking notes, by the way. The first reason we honor the Sabbath is God modeled it to us. He, man- he shows it to us. And since its institution here in Exodus, the Jewish people have been keeping the Sabbath, observing it for thousands of years. That's originally what it was called, the Shabbat, a weekly day of rest where they stopped work at sundown on Friday and kept no work until sundown on Saturday. Now, when Christians, uh, they actually moved the Sabbath to Sunday because they said, hey, let's take the first day of the week to kind of uh, symbolize and commemorate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the specific day of the Sabbath isn't important. The big point is the stopping and resting and refocusing on God. So God creates this Sabbath. He says, stop, I'm going to model margin. And now watch, I'm going to mandate margin. Because I know something about you. If I don't tell you to stop, you're going to blow right past the stop sign. Some of you have a hard time with this. And so he actually puts this smack dab in the center of the Ten Commandments. Even if you haven't been to church in a while, you know probably most of the Ten Commandments, right? It's a thou shalt not. Thou shalt not, you know, commit murder. Thou shalt not lie, right? Thou shalt not use your cell phone in church, uh, you know. But in the middle of it, God says you have to do it. I want you to shell. I want you to do something. It's not just about what you don't do, but thou shalt take a day off. Now, why is that? It's kind of crazy that God would have to command you and me to take a day off. It's almost like he knew that at some point our schedules would get so out of whack, our lives would grow so unbalanced, we would just have a hard time doing this. Now, why is that? There is a clue here. Did you see this? How does the commandment begin? It says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. You can circle that word remember because it's the only commandment. Look at the commandments. The only one that begins with the word remember. Almost as if God said, I know you're going to forget this. (laughs) Well, guess what we did? What did God want us to remember? Watch this. Deuteronomy 5.15 gives the answer. It says, remember that. Let's read this together. You were what? Slaves in Egypt. And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. See, this was a crucial moment in Hebrew history. The the Ten Commandments aren't just like faxed out of heaven, like, oh, by the way, here's ten things. Make sure you do those. This is a moment where Moses had just led the Israelites out of slavery. They were in 400 years doing back-breaking slavery work in Egypt. That's what Exodus is about. God exiting, he's bringing his people out of slavery, out of bondage to overwork. And let me tell you something. Think about your boss, whoever you report to tomorrow, okay? You think you got it bad? Try Pharaoh. Pharaoh was a tough boss. After Joseph's generation, he put the Hebrews to work baking bricks (laughs) under the hot Egyptian sun. This is the first recorded sweatshop, okay, in in history. Look at this in Exodus 1, how it describes the plight of the Israelites. It says, so the Egyptians organized God's people into work gangs and put them to hard labor under gang foremen. They built the storage cities, Pithom and Ramses for Pharaoh. You can still visit those cities today, by the way. The Egyptians got so that they couldn't stand the Israelites and treated them worse than ever, crushing them with slave labor. They just piled it on. They just, they made them miserable, making bricks and mortar and backbreaking work in the fields. They just piled on the work. What's the word? Crushing them under the cruel workload. In other words, whoa, this is life in Egypt. I don't know about, some of you read this description, like my boss is in the Bible. That's incredible, right? <laughs> 
Talk about a tough day at the office. Pharaoh was like, your life is about bricks, bricks, and more bricks. Bricks. Hey, pay attention in the front row here. Listen to me. The Israelites' whole life was about breaking bricks. That's what their life came down to. How much they could produce, how quickly they could do it. What were they working on? Has anybody heard of the pyramids? Okay. Now there's a major construction project. The Hebrews hauled stone. They baked bricks under the hot Egyptian sun. And historians say that likely thousands of Israelites dropped dead in the heat from exhaustion. The slave drivers would actually chain the men, the women, and the children together, whip them, and they had to use straw and mud to bake brick after brick after brick after brick, more bricks, more bricks, more bricks, keep going. And it wasn't 24-7. It was 24-10. The Egyptians had a 10-day work week calendar, and they did it for 400 years. That was what God's people thought life was about. You talk about a slave to the system. That's what happens when your life becomes defined by the number of bricks you produce. This is the first 24-7 culture in history. It's 2,500 years ago, and it's incredible the parallels today, right? Pharaoh, in a lot of ways, he's incredible. He could have been on the cover of Fast Company, all right? At one point in Exodus, he actually takes the straw away from the Israelites that they make the bricks with. He says, you got to also gather your own straw, and I'm not reducing your workload. In other words, here's the new rule. I want double the output and half the resources. You guys, you guys got to crank this out, okay? You got to really, come on. All of you guys can crank that thing out there. Oh, good catch, man. You would make an excellent slave. <laughs> produce, produce, produce. And it crushed God's people. Look what scripture says. It says they made them miserable with hard labor, making bricks and mortar and backbreaking work in the fields. Would you throw that verse up there? They piled on the work, just kind of what? Crushing them. Under the cruel workload. That's life in 24-7 Egypt. Does that sound familiar to you? Where your load exceeds your limits. That's the life without Sabbath. So God's setting up a contrast here between Egypt, the system of slavery, and Israel, which represents the Sabbath. It's a life of slavery and bondage to your overwork or to Sabbath. Entering the rest of God where there's balance. And I actually treat you as a spiritual creature who is loved for who you are, not just what you do. What's crazy is that we don't live in Egypt. We actually do this voluntarily. We overwork it sometimes and push ourselves to the point of exhaustion and overload in some of the same ways we do this with our schedule. And it's like, why do we do that? These guys didn't have a choice. But why do we voluntarily sometimes take on these loads that we know exceed our God-given limits, when we know it's catastrophic to our relationships, to those we love. Last week, I asked you where you would put yourself. Remember this? On this stress scale, we had kind of negative 10. You're stressed out. You are totally overloaded to positive 10. You are Sabbathed up, man. You got to rest. You are margined. You're working out of overflow. And what's interesting is the average in our congregation, just unscientifically out of all the services, the average was negative five is what people kind of raised their hand. I think most people were chicken of getting judged at negative 10. But there was a woman who said, I didn't even raise my hand on the way out. She said, because I'm like negative 20. She goes, I actually came to church this morning and sat in the parking lot debating whether I should come in today. I actually just started crying because I was like, I don't even have time for this. She's juggling so many plates at home and work. Her bandwidth is totally expired. Her tank is empty. She goes, and and then I walk in, and you're talking about this stress scale. It's funny how God works. 
A church online listener sent me this email. Listen to what she wrote. She said, I listened to the podcast this morning on a long walk of the park. I ache with the pace of the 24-7 schedule I keep with four kids in a household to run. I've been trying to cut back and say no, yet I'm still overwhelmed and can't breathe in deeply without pain in my chest. I'm very good at minimizing pains and just plowing through life and laundry, but it isn't calm. I went off the freaking treadmill because life is not fuller with all the to-dos. It's only hollow busyness. I can say I'm easily at negative eight, and that is not how I want to live this life that God's given me. I want to have deeper relationships with my spouse, my children and friends, and with God himself. Any moms identify with that? <laughs> Baking bricks, making meals, you know, having your margin kind of squeeze so much. The people you love the most, your spouse and kids and God, actually get the leftovers. I, I had a, it's, again, it's not gender specific. I had a businessman email me this. He said, on Sunday, I realized my travel and workload has materialized in a 20-pound weight gain this past year. I never connected the impact of my marginless living until this morning. Because when you're an entrepreneur, you're starting business, you're traveling, you're in the airports, and you got time for fast, fast food. We're a fast food culture. And margin constricts and waistlines expand. No judgment. It's just how we live. If that's a random cross-section of our church, guys, then we are a congregation of brick bakers that are breaking their backs for Pharaoh at times. We may live in America, but our schedule gets set in Egypt. So can I just kind of call a time out here and be bold? Because Moses was bold when he went to Pharaoh. Moses went to Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. I need to say some of you real gently, you know, stop, stop baking bricks. Stop living without margin. Stop. Just take a moment because life is more than the number, are you ready, Rowie, of bricks that you bake. <laughs> life is more than the number of emails that you answer than clients you land or contracts you sign or stores that you open. God says, don't be a slave to your work, to a marginless schedule, because I don't love you for what you do, but for who you are, and you're going to forget that. That's the problem with Egypt. You are driven by fear rather than the freedom of God. Fear versus freedom is really the essence of what's happening here. The Israelites performed because they feared Pharaoh. They were going to get the ax. And you know what? I think that's still a driver for a lot of us. Admit this, if we, at, at work sometimes, it's like if we don't produce or outproduce our colleagues at work, we may get passed over for, or, you know, for the promotion or lose our job. Because with the recession, the marketplace is so tight and it's performance-driven, it's bottom line more than ever. And you got to keep up with new technology and unpredictable trends and constantly prove yourself. So there's no margin for error. Bake bricks, bake bricks, bake bricks. On the home front, I think a lot of us have fear of just not keeping up with the Joneses, Right? If I don't take on a double mortgage <laughs> or stretch myself to get a bigger home or a newer car, even if I can't afford it, I'll be falling behind my neighbors. And then what will they think? Bake bricks, bake bricks, bake bricks. And I think a lot of parents fear, look, I'm a parent. I think a lot of us fear if we don't get our kids signed up <laughs> for all the competitive sports and classes and extracurricular activities, well, they'll fall behind. We won't get into college or whatever. In my town, let me tell you how it is in my town. Uh, competitive sports is like a nuclear arms race, Okay. People are like, it's like, I'm serious. People, parents brag about how busy their kids are. I had a dad brag to me. He said, oh, well, next week is crazy. He goes, on Sunday or on a Friday night, we drive up to Boston and we have, my son is in two hockey games. But then on Sunday, we have to go to Lake Placid and then we get back so he can fly to Michigan for a preseason lacrosse camp. 
And he's like, high five. I'm like, I'm going to call Dyfus. Uh, you know, your kid's seven years old, right? It's like this, this, this performance mentality. Bake bricks, bake bricks. How busy can we get the kids? How committed? And when do most of the sports take place, by the way, now? Sunday, the Sabbath. Remember this, parents. I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm a parent. But you are teaching your kids every time. Your calendar tells them what's important and what comes first in life. And when you, when you make that a priority, they get the message. It's about the treadmill. Can't get powers what? I think a lot of us, honestly, are just afraid to slow down (laughs) and be still. I had one woman write me. She said, Tim, I actually feel guilty when I take a moment to rest. When I read a book or I take a nap or meet a friend, I feel guilty. Here's what she said. There's so much to do around my house. With kids under 10, I just about get the house cleaned up, and it gets destroyed again. Identify with this? It's like Groundhog's Day. Beds to make. Bills to pay, my work is never done. That's the point. Your work will never be done. This is what I know about you. Whatever you're in, whether you're school or office or work, whatever, even if you work 24-7 for 400 years like the Israelites, you will never be finished. And that's why God says, I want you to stop once a week baking bricks. Break that slave mentality and enter into the freedom of a child of the living God. You are not defined and nor are you loved by what you produce. My universe goes 24-6 and it can go on without you if you never worked a day in your life again. And I accept you not because of what you've done, but my son Jesus Christ has done. And so work cannot become an idol in your life. As Galatians remind us, look what Paul says. He says, it is for, what's the word? Say it together. Freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of what? slavery. The gospel is always contrasting a life of slavery and a life of freedom. And God says, I'm calling my kids out of slavery and I'm giving them the Sabbath. The Sabbath is my gift and my way of restoring balance to your overloaded life. Because I know something about you. Your great, 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 great granddaddy has a history in Egypt. (laughs) And you're going to be driven by fear and guilt and pride. But I designed you in my image I designed you as a creature, and I gave you limits, and you are not to draw your self-worth from your work, but from your relationship with me. Translation, let me make this real practical. Dads, you are more than a paycheck. You are more than a taxi service, mom. You are a son or daughter of God who has a soul that needs time and freedom to reconnect with your creator who is the source of life, not just a better life, but life itself. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so Sabbath says, get off your 24-7 treadmill and enter the freedom of 24-6 living. See, first God models margin. But then he says, I know it's not going to be good enough for some of you. I'm going to mandate it. Thou shalt not work yourself to death. So if you're living in Egypt, God says, I want to bring you out. So now let me get very pointed with a challenge for you. Because I did it last week. For some of you, the most spiritual thing you can do today would be to go home after the service and cancel plans to something. Postpone a trip. Or just simply learn to say no. Spend time with your family and rethink your schedule for this year. In fact, here's my challenge today to every single one of us, all our campuses. What is one thing you need to stop this week or this month or this year so you can orient your life around the Sabbath rhythms of your creator? I'm as busy as as most of you, but if I don't have this time, I get super crunchy, okay? 
My ma- around the house, my marriage suffers. Colleen will tell you, we get real snippy with each other, okay? I, get, I blow up with the kids, you know? There, guys, think of the Ten Commandments. The command, thou shalt take a day off, comes in the same list as don't kill anybody. Right? It's the same list. <laughs> They're connected. <laughs> and when you live without Sabbath, you see the cracks in your, rela- in your marriages and your families. Because then you, if there's a conflict or a crisis at home, you lack the emotional margin to respond. Because if your kids blow, do something wrong and you got, you're all dry up, you blow up. You get sharp with your spouse. How can you do that? You start blaming, right? Don't forget. It's, it's the same thing. Do not murder. Take a day off. Same thing. What could you say no to this week, this year, this month? That may make you less prosperous. You may not earn as much. It may make you less popular. You're not going to all the cool things the cool kids are doing. Or less likely to be promoted even. But you actually say, you know what? I have other priorities. Could you say stop or maybe even just stop for a season to honor the Sabbath in your schedule? See, in our culture, guys, honoring the Sabbath is not just an act of faith. It is an act of courage. Let me inspire you with the stories of two modern-day brick breakers, <laughs> There's a man named David Green who runs a little business called Hobby Lobby. Hear of it? He started Hobby Lobby. It's an arts and crafts store. He started it back in 1962 with a $600 loan in his garage. He started building little picture frames. And he's a Christian man, David Green, and so his sons, they all worked. And their little business grew and grew because he said, I want to build a business based on Christian principles. And then Hobby Lobby blew up in the 80s. They actually became the largest retailer in the Midwest. And guess what their biggest day for sales was on the weekend? Anyone? Sunday, the Sabbath. At their zenith, Hobby Lobby was grossing $100 million in sales on Sunday every year. But David Green began reading the scriptures and became convicted that he wasn't honoring the Sabbath. He's like, I'm a Christ follower. Guess what? Following Jesus makes your life inconvenient. And so his conscience began bothering him because he's like, wait, I'm supposed to have a Sabbath. My kids are Sabbath. And it says you're, you're, you're slaves or even people who work for you. Well, I've got thousands of employees who Sunday is the only day for them to go to church or spend time with their family. And so he felt God saying, hey, do I come before your prophets, right? So David Green, <laughs> this is kind of funny. He said, look, I've always treated my, my, my workers like they're my family, but giving them Sunday off, this doesn't happen in the retail world. There's no 24-6 in discount retail. So he did an experiment. He closed all of his stores in Nebraska because <laughs> there were only two of them. <laughs> he said, I want to test pilot this thing. And his sales plummeted, right? And so he said, oh, see? And then he felt God saying, oh, okay, so you only obey me if it is the profit's the bottom line? He said, ah. And so he took the plunge. And he took Hobby Lobby 24-6 across the board, closed all 500-plus stores on Sundays, and his competitors said, you're going to be out of business in a year. We're going to bury you with your money. But watch this. The year after David Green closed his stores on the Sabbath, Hobby Lobby first, first time surpassed $1 billion in market value. And two years later, his competition actually folded. They're gone. And today, Hobby Lobby is worth $5 billion. Green tops the Forbes list of America's billionaires, and he donates now half of his company's pre-tax earnings to Christian missions, charity, education, evangelism. They're the guys behind actually, you know, version, the digital Bible. It's had millions of downloads. He just funded that. Hobby Lobby is a 24-6 business. It's closed on the Sabbath because he's like, we honor the Sabbath first because we're a biblical company that we derive our business principles out of the Bible, not out of the profiteer playbook. And Green has said, you know what? Keeping the Sabbath is just good for our families. It's good for the bottom line because the more I honor God, the more God blesses us. He now, all Hobby Lobby employees, they start out earning 80% above minimum wage. That's what God can do when we keep the Sabbath and keep it holy. It's countercultural. It takes courage. 
But there are others doing this, like Chick-fil-A. You guys like Chick-fil-A? They're just starting to come to New Jersey, um, eat more chicken, the cows, all that. This is Truett Caffey, um, a phenomenal, incredible man. Truett Caffey, uh, he based his whole business on old-school biblical principles. All the franchises are closed on Sunday. That doesn't happen in the fast food industry, right? It's 24-7, eat late, tastes great. But Chick-fil-A now is over 1,600 locations, and it is worth $4 billion. So Green and Kathy both are on the top of Forbes' list of richest billionaires in America. Do you think maybe these old-school Sabbath-keeping guys know something we don't? That the secret to success is not based on how many bricks you bake, but sometimes stopping your work so God can get the credit. Amen? See, the measure of success, guys, isn't the number of bricks you make or the burgers you flip or whatever it is you do. The Sabbath is intentionally anti-Pharaoh. It says, my God comes before prophet. He has veto power over my schedule, and I'll take his blessing over the bottom line. So I'm going to treat those who work for me fairly as God's children, not like slaves. Even if it impacts my bottom line, I believe God will make it up to me. That's faith. That's the power of honoring the Sabbath. And it's the same in your work or your home, okay? Whether you run a home or a classroom or business, when you make room for margin, you make room for God to show up in a big way. So here's my challenge. In 2014, these seem like radical examples, right? (laughs) It's funny. We're like, wow, imagine that. A generation ago, that was just normal. (laughs) But now it's radical. But if you want to observe the Sabbath, you're going to have to push back against the culture and risk looking like a fool and making a courageous choice like David Green or Truett Cathy as an act of courage that may cost you. So here's my challenge to you. You're probably not a billionaire, I'm guessing, yeah? What's one thing you could stop this week so you could spend the Sabbath with God and those you love? What is on your to-don't list? Some, our lives are defined by a lot of what we, don't, what we say no to. We all have a to-do list. What's on your to-don't list that I'm saying no to? How does this look in your life? Those of you who are business owners or you run an office or maybe you have people under you or a team at work, Maybe you're starting to take the truth of God's wisdom to heart, and you're like, man, maybe I should be making some of these calls because you got a whole workforce under you, and you, you set the pace of your organization. And when people, if they arrive early or do they stay late or do they get home to their families, you decide whether they work around the clock baking bricks or enter the Sabbath rhythms of work and release and rest that reflect your creator's heart. Here's my challenge. What if you made a decision this year to reorient your work life around the Sabbath. Do you think God could be trusted to honor that? Let me tell you how this looks at our church and I'll close with this. Last spring at Liquid, we made the decision to put up a Sabbath stop sign to something. We made a decision in the spring not to have Saturday night services because we're starting to get maxed out at some of our locations on Sunday morning. So, so many people were like, well, obviously, let's do Saturday night service. You know, people go to mass on Saturday night. Blah, blah, blah. And we actually said, oh, interesting idea, no. <laughs> You know why? Not just because I want to go to the movies on Saturday night, but, <laughs> but the main reason is because we want our church, we don't want our church to be a seven-day-a-week organization. We want to be a 24-6 church. I believe that actually we lead better and a better testimony for Christ when our staff and our volunteers are well-rested and get downtime with their families first. So our church ministers on a 24-6 schedule because even Jesus needed time to, with, along with the Father to be replenished in his teaching and his, in his healing ministry. And I've been in those churches that, you know, you've got to program every night of the week. And I'm like, no, we're going to observe a Sabbath rhythm at Liquid because we believe God honors that. 
We believe Jesus gets more glory when we're rested and we don't have to be running around crazy. What is that for you? That's me in my little area. What about your area of influence? Maybe you are a parent at home and you you need to stop the insane pace of your schedule this year. Put down the bricks. What is one thing you could say no to this week? Maybe it's a project or something you've been invited to and you're scared because what will people think if you said no? I get that. But it's a step of faith because you get to stop and do it out of the right compulsion for God and say, God, could you help lift that fear and that guilt that I feel? Or maybe you get radical and stop letting your kids do sports instead of church. I know that's radical. That's what we're doing with our kids. I'm not talking about like getting all legalistic about it. I got two kids. They sign up for sports, all that stuff. And I just have a conversation with the coach at the beginning of the year. And I said, hey, if we got games and stuff on Sundays, we're probably not going to make those because we go to church. And they look at me, they're like, you know, are you Orthodox Jew? Like, well, you know, I don't, you know, I, I get that. I don't get all legalistic about it. We're just like, no, faith's really, you know, it's important to us. It's a testimony. It's countercultural. What's one thing you could stop this year so you could spend Sabbath time with God and those you love? Because you're more than the bricks that you break. It is the only way out of Egypt when you know your value comes from the Father who created you and the Son who gave his life for you. You don't observe the Sabbath because you're ever done with your work. There'll always be a report to, to write or a deal to close or a meal to cook or email to answer. You don't rest because your work is finished. You rest because Jesus Christ finished his work on the cross. See, when Jesus Christ appears 2,000 years after Egypt to liberate his people, us, from the bondage of sin, he climbs on the cross as a payment for your sin and he says, it is finished. Stop your striving your manic attempts to prove your worth in God's eyes. I don't love you because of the bricks you bake, but because of who you are. And that's why Christ died for us, to reconcile us with the Father and free us from slavery to sin and overload. So if you come to Christ, he will re- replace your drivenness with gentleness. Your pride, it all revolves around me, with humility. Ah, Sabbath, God, you are God, I am not. Be still and know. It is a daily, weekly reminder that God is God, not you. God is in control, not you. The universe is 24-6, revolves around him, not you. And God provides your salvation, your deepest needs, not you. Amen? Let's pray together. Let's bow our heads right now. Father, wow, my heart is awakened right now to the deep truth of Sabbath living. God, thank you for this gift. We first off say thank you. Then we say, forgive, Lord, would you forgive us? We're sorry for the ways that we just blow past the stop sign thinking that it's all about us and we just push it to the max and we hurt those we love the most, including you. And so we repent right now. We take a moment to repent, to rethink the way we've been living. And we hear your gentle words, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Lord, right now, would you let the um, invitation to life, to life of meaning, not just busyness, now draw those who are far from you to the cross of Jesus. Father, thank you for dying on the cross, that your blood was shed and the payment was made so we could stop our striving and find our worth in Christ. We now ask that there would be decisions that get made this week in our schedules, in our families, Lord, in our marriages, that there would be salvation visited to relationships because of these sacrificial choices to obey you. I pray that in the name of Jesus Christ and all glory would go to him and all our God's people said together, amen. 
Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.